And uh, today we're going to be talking about identity. It's a series that we've just started. I introduced it last week, our identity in Christ, who we are, who I was, who I am, and who can I be. That's what we're looking at. And uh, last week we looked at this story in the Old Testament of Saul. He was the first king of Israel and he had an identity crisis. Anybody here with an identity crisis? You don't have to put your hand up, you're probably too embarrassed to. But Saul had an identity crisis. What was apparent to everybody else, he just couldn't see. Everybody else could see that he was head and shoulders above the rest. He was the perfect king for Israel, but he had no idea at all about his identity. And even when it was supernaturally revealed to him, where a prophet came and spoke to him and said, this is what God says, he still didn't see it. And in fact, he ran away and hid in some baggage. And then he had to be found and called out. And I said that I felt that this was like a picture of what I believe God was going to do in this series as we talk about identity, that there's going to be many people amongst us who God is going to call out and supernaturally reveal new aspects about their identity and what God has actually done. A bit like what Darren was prophesying a bit earlier. That's what we're going to be looking at today. So, where have you been hiding? (laughs) Where have you been hiding? What baggage have you been under? Who will you be? And we find these things out when we find out the true extent of our identity in Christ. So I'm going to pray first of all, and then we're going to get into it, okay? So Lord Jesus, I just pray, Lord, you turn the lights on today in our minds. Would you help us to see? Would you turn the lights on uh, so that we understand? And I pray, Father, that you just give us real clarity about the work that you've done in our lives. Lord, we just give you praise and honor. You are amazing, as we've been singing about today. So just let your glory rest on us. Let your presence be amongst us as we talk about these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So today I want to start a six-part series. Six parts. And I had them all set out for you beautifully on the slides so that you could see what we're going to be looking at. And I can't remember what they all are. So, six parts, and they're going to be great. Okay, so just trust me on that. But this week, I do know what we're talking about. We're talking about what it means to be in Christ. And Ephesians is a book which talks an awful lot about identity, and it talks an awful lot, especially in chapter 1, about being in Christ. This phrase is just used over and over again. In Christ. In Christ. You are in Christ. We are put in Christ. It's over 12 times in just one chapter, so it's quite an important phrase. It's significant. It means uh, something, it marks something of this dramatic change that's taken place in our position before God when we're saved. Something amazing has happened. There's been a translation that God has done in our lives. And the main point of what I want to say today is this, that Do you know, we don't really know who we are, most of us. We don't really know know who we are. We don't know, firstly, how evil, lost and broken we are. That's a bit sober, isn't it? We don't know how evil, lost and broken we are without Christ. 
And on the other side, we don't know how transformed, secure, and empowered we are in Christ. It seems to be a constant problem of mankind is that we just can't work out who we are. So in this first and foundational talk, we're going to start by looking at, firstly, who we are without Christ. We're going to look before Christ, and then we're going to come and look at a very much more encouraging, positive, and upbeat side, which is what God has done and what we are now in Christ. So we're going to have to get through the first bit first, and then we'll come to the exciting second part. But it's really important that we start here. We talk about what has happened, what God has done, and translated us from this place that we were in to the place that we now are in. So if you'd like to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. No, in fact, let's look at chapter 2 first. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, because this talks about who we are without Christ. I was just so excited about chapter 1, I wanted to start there, but we've got to start in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Paul writes this, he says, As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts, and so it goes on. That's how it was before Christ, and it's pretty bad, isn't it? Some pretty bad things are mentioned there. We were dead. Well, that's pretty final. We were dead. We were dead, and we were following somebody called the ruler of this world, which is the devil. We were following the devil. You see, there isn't a middle ground. You're either in the kingdom of light, where God is, or you're in the kingdom of darkness, where the devil is king. There isn't a middle ground. That's what Paul is saying. And in that place, we lived gratifying our sinful desires. That was our state before Christ. That's where we were uh, without Christ. But it gets even more detailed. Because if you turn to Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, Paul sets out for us the full extent of God's assessment of who we were without Christ. Just turn to Romans chapter 1. And we're going to read at verse 21, first of all. Now, I've got to warn you, this is a bleak and uncomfortable list that we're going to look at. Because these verses that I'm going to read to you now are going to reveal the full extent of our depravity without Christ, as God sees it. That's how God sees it. But I think it's important for us to go through this because, and for us to acknowledge these things, because undoubtedly, as we go through this list, there'll be areas in our lives that we still haven't experienced the grace of God for. We still haven't experienced his forgiveness for. We still haven't experienced his healing and freedom in. There are areas in our lives that God still wants to work in amongst us, and there are places where we haven't fully acknowledged our need. So verse 21 is this. It says, talking about 
people outside of Christ, for although they knew God, now that's interesting, isn't it? They're unbelievers. But Paul says they knew God. And I don't know about you, but I've talked to many people and found that they have an instinct about God. Even if they wouldn't claim to be believers, there's something in them. They say, I think there must be something out there. But that's what Paul says. Even though they knew God, they didn't glorify him. They didn't honor him as God, nor did they give thanks to him. But their thinking became futile or empty, and their foolish hearts were dark. And so there are people who live unthankfully, people that are always moaning and complaining. They're living unthankfully. And you know, people pray, people pray even if they're not believers when there's trouble, (laughs) when there are difficult things to go for. We pray when there are problems, but we forget to thank God when things are going well. (laughs) Isn't that weird? We pray and we even blame God when things are bad. But when things are good, we don't acknowledge him at all. Why is that? That's what Paul says. And he says in that time, we're futile in our thinking. What that means is we're (laughs) empty-headed. We just don't even know how to think because our minds are filled with hopelessness and purposelessness. It just doesn't go anywhere. It's all about my life. It's all about money. It's all about this rat race of life. It's futile. It doesn't go anywhere. Isn't it funny how often we build up resources and build up resources and we can't take it with us? Why do we do that? I mean, it's great if you can give some to the kids. I don't know, my parents seem to be spending it all and having fun, and I prefer that. (laughs) And thirdly, we don't know how dark we are. We don't know how dark we are. How often are we shocked when we hear, see, experience evil? in the world. We're shocked. I couldn't believe that. Do you believe what they did? You see the news, it's almost every day there's another shocking revelation about somebody. We're surprised. We don't know how dark we are as human beings. And Paul is very clear. He says these things all come from our fallen nature. And he goes on in verse 28, and skip down a few, and he says, Furthermore, since they didn't think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, since they didn't even acknowledge him, give thanks to him, or even think about him, it says that God gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. There comes a point, it seems, where God actually gives up on you. Is that right? It almost seems like there's a time where you come to a point with God where he says, okay, you have your own way then. You go your own way. That's what you've decided. He says he gave them over. He gave up on them. He put them into their own hands. Their own destinies were in their hands. And then it goes on and says, look what happens if we're left to our own devices. Look what happens. There's verse 29. God gave them over, and this is what happened. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. That's what happens when there's no restraints. When people just get on with it, this is my freedom and my right to do these things. Why does it always go that way? 
Why do people always go that way into depravity? There's a fearful list that follows. He says, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. My goodness me, Paul must have been having a bad day or something. I mean, that is quite a list, and you've got to listen to that and say, not me. Surely not me. Surely that's not who I was. Surely that's not what I'm potentially uh, able to to be like. That's not that's not in my nature. Surely maybe Hitler, or perhaps Stalin, or maybe Saddam Hussein, but not me. But then, have you ever been envious of somebody? Have you ever wanted something that somebody else has got? Have you ever gossiped? Have you ever slandered? Have you ever boasted? That's in the list. And you know, murder, none of us have murdered. Well, I don't think so. Anyway, I'm looking around this beautiful room, and I'm sure there's nobody here. But we've all hated. We've all got angry. And Jesus says even to, to think like that, I wish he was dead. <laughs> he says it's the same thing. But maybe you're not in that list. Maybe you don't fit in there. Maybe you've not got that potential. <laughs> well, just in case you escape any of those, Paul goes on. And he says in verse 32, he says, although they know God's righteous decree, because do you know, people know when they've done wrong. What is that in somebody? How do they know? It's called a conscience. God puts a conscience in everybody, and it takes some effort to break that conscience. It takes something very deliberate to do that. They knew God's righteous decree, that those who do such things deserve death, but they continue to do them. And then he goes on, but also approve of those who practice them. So even if you're not the guilty party, you're approving of those that are doing them. Guilty by association, that's what Paul says. He's guilty by our failure to do anything in the face of wrongdoing or injustice. I mean, do we always stand up when we need to? Do we always speak up when we should? You know, bullying, when you see somebody being bullied in the workplace or in college or in school or whatever, are you the one that stands up for them? Well, not doing so is assenting. It's agreeing, it's allowing. That's what Paul's saying. And it's part of the fallen nature to do that. He says, not, not by, by not saying anything, we, we are assenting to unrighteousness. Now, we all know, of course, the consequences for living without Christ. In Romans 2, Paul says this. He says, because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, still speaking about these people, he says, you're storing up for yourself wrath in the day of God's judgment. When his righteous judgment is revealed, he's going to give you what you deserve. 
you know, this is one of those sermons that you'd just rather not give. It wouldn't it be nice if I could just say, everybody, you're all right, don't worry. But he says, God, you've got a responsibility. You're going to have to stand before God one day, every one of us, and give account for the way that we've lived. That's frightening. Unless you've sorted it out before you get there. I mean, the arrogance of some people, you know. I've talked to many, I had a neighbour in my, where I lived before, and I'd often talk to him. In fact, Sam, who was my little boy, and he was only very young at the time, maybe, I don't know, four or five, started out as an evangelist, really. And he would stand there and regularly talk to Tommy about his soul. And that he was concerned that Tommy wasn't going to heaven. He'd pray for him most nights. It, it just concerned him. Somehow he got hold of this fact that here was a man who didn't know God and he wasn't going to go to heaven. And so he talked to him about it and he said, you need to talk to my dad. And on one particular occasion, I rescued Tommy from Sam. And I, Tommy said to me, he said, your son, I'll tell you, I said, well, yeah, it's true, Tommy. What are you doing about that? And he said, Tommy, Tommy says, ah, oh, well, I'll be all right. I'll have a word with him when I get there. We'll straighten some things out. It's too late, Tommy. You can't do it when you get there. The solution's here and there. Today. And Tommy died, and as far as I know, he never came to know God, but he heard it very clearly from a little boy. This lack of acknowledgement, this, oh, I'll be all right, is is a reason why many people don't get saved. Many people don't get to know Jesus because of this kind of arrogance. They don't realize that actually they're going to have to face the wrath of God. And I've been talking about those people in a kind of third-person way to make it easier to to hear. But actually, what about you? What about us? I mean, have you acknowledged the full extent of your own depravity? Sorry, does that offend you? But have you acknowledged what you are capable of? Have you any inkling of what kind of sin you could commit or you could have committed there but by the grace of God, I could have. That close. (sighs) I don't know about you, but sometimes I look back and think, oh, my life could have been so different. Thank you, God. Have you ever faced the reality of who you are without God. Without Christ. And, I mean, this is a difficult passage to own up to, you know? It's a difficult list, and you might say, well, why do we have to start here? You know, I thought, now I'm a Christian, it's all good news. (laughs) Why do we need to go back there and look at that? Surely that's what I've been saved from. Yes. But do you know it? Do you understand the full extent of what God has done for you? 
Because you see, if we don't recognize, if I don't recognize, I'll speak about myself, if I don't recognize who I am without Christ and the full extent of my own need or and depravity, then I'm never going to really come to terms with what he's done for me and who I can now be in Christ. Because I will always think, because I don't fully see this, I'll always think that the gap between me and God is not actually that great. It's, it's actually quite small. Me and God, you know, we're almost on equal sort of... He, he's holy, but, you know, I'm almost... I'm getting there. So, if I have that mentality, if I don't understand the chasm, the chasm that's between us, the the grossness of my own sin, if I don't see that, I'm never going to ask him for his help. I'm never going to ask anybody else for any help because I think, well, it's only that much and I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as him. We patch up, we cover over, we we don't deal with it. It goes on and on and on. And it means, actually what it means is that there will always be areas of resistance in our lives to God. It means that we won't really fully ex- experience the grace of God. And I often think of somebody becoming Christian as like, we're a, I'm a house, okay, and I've got rooms in my life. And there may be some rooms, I don't know if you're like this, if you're a house proud, my wife is a little, and she'll say, if I've got somebody coming around, don't take them upstairs. Well, I wouldn't. I mean, why would I? Why would I take him upstairs? Don't take them upstairs. I've not made the bed. You see, and we can be like that with God. You say, God, you can come in, come into my front room, okay? This is great, this room. Look at it, beautiful, got a nice couch there, it's comfortable. Just come in, make yourself at home, but don't go out there in the kitchen. Don't go in the kitchen, I haven't washed up yet. Is God welcome in all of your house? Can he go anywhere? Can he go into your bathroom, open the dirty washing lid and say, that needs cleaning? Can he? Is he allowed in there? You know the dark cupboard under the stairs? The cupboard under the stairs that you don't want anybody to know about, is he allowed in there? How big the chasm how needy am I? How much I need God? We need to have that revelation, guys. Because, you know, if we don't, we'll create our own moral standard and it won't meet God's standard because God's standard is way beyond mine. I'll let myself off. I won't take sin as seriously as I should. Oh, it's only a little sin. There are big sins that I commit and I really repent for them. But that's only a little one, so I won't be too worried about that. I'm over it. It's okay. It's fine. Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, do you fully appreciate the seriousness of every sin? Are you rigorous in dealing with it? Because if we don't, we won't have a changed life. We'll just feel a bit better about ourselves every now and again, until it comes up again. 
when we become self-righteous, we can become self-justifying. We kind of have a good life mentality. I live a good life. DIY salvation. Don't let God in there. You see, we all have this inbuilt desire to justify ourselves. Take the argument I had with my wife many years ago now. Many years ago. You see, I'm, I'm a lawyer by training, so I know how to argue an argument, all right? Inside my head, I have the judge, the jury, the defense counsel lined up, speaking my language, and she's taken me on. I'm prepared. I'm right. That's the starting place. I'm right. And woe betide anybody. Now, God's had to deal with that. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, Alison would. Um, self-justification. Ah. It's not, still not easy to say that I'm wrong, you know? I like to be right. But I'm learning to say it sooner now. Yeah, I was wrong, sorry. Oh, that hurts. <laughs> but we can be like that with God. And his standard is out of this world. Self-justifying, self-righteous in God's presence? No way. And the other thing, if we don't see this chasm and we don't understand the extent of our own depravity, is I will think my sins are minor and others are major. I only do little sins. He does really big ones. And we can be filled with a kind of judgmentalism and a pride. You know, one of the reasons why we can deal with people gently when they sin is because we know the certainty of our own sin. And you know, it could have been me. I didn't, thank goodness. I'm so glad I didn't take that step. He did. I'm so glad I didn't, but it could have been me. I was tempted. I nearly did, but I didn't. Do you know the extent of what you're capable of? Romans 3.10 says there's no one righteous, not even one. We're all in the same boat, guys. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we have had to come to this place of humility, of understanding this to a degree, to get saved in the first place. We've had to come to this place to be saved. And it's what we need our friends to see. It's it's what we need to pray for others, that they can see this, how desperate people are without God. And come to that place of humility where, God, you are my only hope. Please save me. If God doesn't save me, I don't know what's going to happen. And this is a problem as well for all Christians. You know, our human nature is still there. You know, Paul describes it as like two men fighting inside me. And sometimes one wins and the other one doesn't. 
There's a fight going on. Our human nature is rotten, but why do we hold on to some parts of it? Why is that? It clings to us. It trips us up. Paul says it's like a body of death. It clings to me and I drag it around everywhere with me and weighs me down. Why can't I just lose it? Why do we go back to it? Proverbs says about a dog who returns to his vomit time and time and time again. And for many of us, our lives can become very cluttered with besetting sins. And it's caused by our own pride, our self-reliance and our self-justification. Actually, we need to bottom out (laughs) and say, God... I'm still wretched without you. Forgive me, Lord, and do a deep work of repentance in my life so that I never do that again. And I'm never the same again. need to come to that place. Every one of us. Because ultimately, we have never seen how completely depraved and lost we are without Christ. And guys, I think that's the mercy of God. Because I don't know if I could cope with it I don't know if I could. I don't, I've had glimpses of it. Just over the summer I was sharing with Steve, um, preparing this series has wrecked me because I've had to work through some stuff and see some stuff and face up to some stuff and talk about depravity and, and see such, just an inkling of what I could have been like without God, what I could still do if I don't stay close to God. And do you know it's not edifying to share those things, is it? And I just felt like, and I don't know if you're up for this or not, but I just felt like before we go any further, we probably just need to clear this one up. And I want to invite you to just repent now. Should we just stand? And if you've, you know, no pressure on you, but say, Lord, I repent of my pride, my self-reliance, and my self-justification. Should we just say it together all at once and then nobody can look at somebody and say, oh, he's praying it. He's obviously proud, you know. Let's just pray it all together. And even if you don't need to pray this, pray it anyway so that others don't feel bad because you're obviously more righteous than they are. So let's just pray and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my pride, for my self-reliance, and for my self-justification. Lord, I need your help. I need the full extent of your grace in my life. And now I open every door to you. And have your way with me. I need you, Jesus. Amen. Please do take a seat. It says in the Bible that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Praise God. So that was kind of heavy stuff, all right? Um, But these are important things to realize, to be convinced of, and we need to realize what we've been saved from. And come to that place of conviction 
but we also need to come to an opposite place of conviction now about how transformed, secure, and empowered we are in Christ. It's going to get good. Okay, in Christ. Who I am in Christ, point two. Ephesians chapter one. Would you like to just turn there? Ephesians chapter one, verses three to eight. Praise be. I'm going to read this in chunks, actually. Let's just break it up a bit because it's quite a long passage. So I'm going to just read chunks and comment on it as we go along because it is just so good. Let's just, let's just enjoy this and let's taste it as we go through. Verse three, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Wow! Remember where we were just a couple of minutes ago. Depraved, lost and in darkness, holy and blameless in his sight in Christ. You can smile. (laughs) Holy and blameless. Do you know what that means? It means it's as if we've never sinned. As if I've never sinned. It's a completely white blank sheet. As if I've never sinned. I mean, how undeserved, how wonderful. And yet just moments ago, where were we? And this is how you begin to see the contrast of what Christ has done. As if I've never sinned. What difference? If you could really get hold of that, if you could really understand what that means, as if I had never sinned, what difference do you think it would make to your life? Jesus has done a work in me where it's as if I have never sinned. Never. Never once and never will I again. Never. I'm not blame, I'm blameless. I'm not held to account for that anymore. Do you know, I wish this was a black church. (laughs) Come on. I'm looking at you, Ange. Holy and blameless in his sight. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. Uh Uh-oh. There's a measure here. Forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. That's the extent to which you're forgiven. I hope here's enough. That he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Redemption, that means bought back from slavery, from sin. The debt has been paid. Ownership has been transferred. The darkness of our falling na- of fallen nature, the hold that it had on us has now been broken and the slaves of our slavery from that horrible place has now been broken in Christ. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Praise God redeemed the forgiveness of sins in accordance with, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Grace means God's riches at Christ's expense. That's how it's often described, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's incredible favor from God. He overlooks all sorts of stuff. 
undeserved, lavished on us. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, it says that it will take the coming ages to come, the ages of eternity, for us to even begin to appreciate the incomparable riches of his grace. It's going to take the rest of eternity for us to even be able to grasp an inkling of that grace. Eternity, not just the rest of your life. Eternity. Only God is eternal. That's how great the extent of his grace is. That's the measure of forgiveness. And it's really good news. And perversely, you know, it's perverse because we struggle, first of all, to see how bad we are before we get saved. Then we're saved and we struggle to see how good we now are. You know, and how, how, how right we are to fully acknowledge what God has done. You know, but if we could really get hold of this, if we could really get hold of what it means to be in Christ, I mean, how do we get hold of this? Actually, the right way to ask that question is, how did I get hold of this? Because something has happened. We got hold of this by faith. This is what we got when we became a Christian. This is what we got. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 says, you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed and then you were marked with a seal of the promised Holy Spirit. It's happened already. That's what you got on that day. This is how we were put in Christ. It's nothing that you can do for yourself. You cannot put yourself in Christ, and neither can you take yourself out of Christ. In Christ. You're put in Christ by faith. When you heard that message, when you believed and when you received that Holy Spirit in Christ, God did it for us when we first believe. And in Romans, Paul explains it to us when he describes the process of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in Romans 6, 4, it says that we were there, therefore buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. In other words... Imagine this bit of paper here is Jesus. You are in Christ. Imagine I put this, in fact, you don't have to imagine. I will do it. I will put this piece of paper in this book. Whatever happens to this book is what happens to you in Christ. We're in, we're put in Christ. I really messed up that illustration. start again. Bit of paper is you. Put in Christ. So whether he's dead, whether he's crucified, whether he's dead, whether he's raised, I am in Christ. Whether he lives, I am in Christ. I'm in Christ. I'm in the book. I'm in Christ. And this is a fact. It's already happened. It's an historical 
reality. This is now our actual position, and it's where our new identity comes from. It comes from being in Christ. Colossians 3.3 says, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. This is fact, but it's somehow, it's kind of appropriating it into our lives and getting it into our current reality, letting our minds and therefore our lives catch up with the full extent of what he's done. That takes some doing and some ongoing revelation. Are there any other Christians here who would agree with me on that statement? It takes a bit of kind of getting in, doesn't it? But let's look at what it means. We're going to finish in a minute. We're, we're, look, we're coming into land, okay? This is what it means. First of all, it means, being in Christ, it means that we are immeasurably blessed. Immeasurably blessed because... We are seated in Christ in the heavenly realms with all spiritual blessings. We're in Christ in the heavenly realms with all spiritual blessings. Do you know how blessed you are? Do you know how blessed you are? You know, we always want the next thing. We're always believing for the next thing or the next provision. Or whatever. Do you know how blessed you are? We don't deserve anything. Remember where we were? All spiritual blessings in Christ. And I didn't deserve any of it. You know, when you think of how lost you were, how far away you were from God, that chasm, do you know where you're seated? I haven't got my head around it yet. Secondly, in Christ means there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Because you're in Christ. A condemnation that each of us surely deserve. Actually a condemnation to death. Now the depravity of our fallen nature, the potential for sin, now buried with Christ. And risen with him. And do you know this? When the Father looks at you, do you know what he sees? When the Father looks at you, do you know what he sees? He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. He sees you, but you're not alone. He sees you hidden in Christ. He doesn't see your acts of righteousness or otherwise. Your past is gone. He only sees the righteousness of Christ. And the psalmist says this, he says, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed. You know, our sins are covered over, literally put out of sight because our lives are hidden in the life of Christ. So therefore, there is no condemnation for any of us. Thirdly, A new creation. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. 2 Corinthians. The old has gone, the new has come. We're going to get into this a bit more next time, but just let the realization of this capture your heart. A new creation. A new potential. You've got different desires now. You want different things. Something's changed inside. There's a new nature. 
There's a bit of a battle with the old one sometimes, but the new nature. We have a, a, a hatred towards sin. I didn't used to have that. I used to seek it out. I've got a new power. I've got a new authority because of this position in Christ. So just think about it for a moment. I just want you to meditate on this. Just be completely impractical for a moment. Think, what does it mean to be in Christ? It's been one of my prayers. Lord, show me what it means. I want to know practically. I love what Becky said, Becky Webb said a few weeks ago. This is the second time I've quoted from your sermon, Becky Webb. But she said this a few weeks ago, that apparently in some churches in China, they welcome new believers by saying, Jesus now has a new pair of eyes to see, with new ears to hear, with new hands to help, and with a new heart to love others with. And when you think about what it means to be in Christ, that really makes sense. I am in Christ. That means when the Father looks upon me, he sees Jesus. When I pray, I pray through Jesus Christ. He's our intercessor. Imagine imagine what that means when I pray. How the Father hears my prayers. Because I pray through Christ, hidden in Christ. Imagine the favor that you have in your prayers. Did you realize how powerful your prayers were? It's because you're in Christ. You know what authority the church has when it prays because it's in Christ. You know, when we see, we see with the eyes of Christ, when it says that Jesus looked on the multitudes and his heart was moved with compassion and he acted. Has your heart been moved? It's because you're seeing with the eyes of Christ. I think, you know, perhaps for some it's time to act. See, act, you're in Christ. There's your authority. And when we hear... We hear with the ears of Christ. When we think, we think with the mind of Christ, creativity and wisdom. When we feel, we feel what he feels. That's what it can be. That's what it means to be in Christ. We're truly and practically at one with him. We're united with Christ. I'm going to stop because I've just got a bit carried away and I've run out of time. But please, will you... Get hold of this. Just go wild with your imagination. Think about Jesus. Think about what it means to be in him and closely associated with him like that. Think of the difference that makes. Think of the authority that gives you, Christian, man or woman of God. Remember what he saved you from. Remember I need you desperately, but Lord, I'm so grateful to you that I'm here now. Let's just stand, because I just believe that God wants to bless you even more. So I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come, and I just say, Lord, just come and open our eyes, Lord. I'm going to try and stir anything up, or I think the message speaks for itself. But Lord, would you just come and turn the light on right now, all over the room, Lord, where there's darkness, where there's despair, where there's hopelessness, where there's relentless sin, where there's 
there's condemnation. In Jesus' name, I set you free. In Christ, I am a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Everyone, thank you, Lord. Why don't you just speak to God yourself and just thank him and just ask him for that revelation in your life. It's right where you are now. I just want to say as well to anybody who hasn't kind of made that jump yet, (laughs) I'd love to talk to you afterwards. I'd love to help you. It's so easy to come to Jesus. You know, we're kind of talking about Christians struggling to come to terms still with what God did years ago. Still trying to come to terms with the amazing nature of what God has done. But it's ever so easy to come to Christ. Amen. Oh, Lord, thank you so much.